welcome to Gadgets, a podcast from Gizmodo where we woman-splain the latest technology. I'm your host, consumer tech reporter Florence Ion, and I'm joined this week by Kate Kozich from Tom's Guide, a longtime friend of mine that, you know, I think we're just now finally meeting for the first time. Wild. Wild. Hi, Kate. How are you? I am great. I'm so excited to be joined with you. I love this podcast so much. Thank you. And I love your coverage of everything. I love your angles. I love your angles, Kate. I can give you my hairstylist. (laughs) Um, But sincerely, I I love your fitness coverage. I think you're one of the the few other um, Apple Watch uh, covers that I read. And Mm -hmm. this is a high praise because as people who listen to this podcast know, I I don't really have much to do with with Apple. So. That's all right. We can still be friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I'm I'm so happy to have you here. I brought you here today because we're actually going to talk about some very important matters about the smart home standard matter. Yes. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. I'm making a face because I recognize that as I was putting together the show notes that you and I were going to have to find a way to make this interesting. <laughs> but <laughs> because it's... I it's think like such a yeah no I think I think it can be interesting, but I think people don't understand why it's interesting is the issue. Yes, um, they're hearing about delays and no one. Uh, you hear about a delay and your eyes gloss over and you're like, I already have my smart home devices. What do I need to know about? But what is what's missing is that this delay is actually an incredible thing for the future of smart home devices. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that on today's show. I'm so excited okay. to get into that with you. And then we're going to talk about your recent experience with the Tonal, which is a workout wall that yes. I have have not been able to try out, unfortunately. I will tell you all about my VIP experience at the Tonal Studio in New York. I can't wait. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, have you been to the Peloton Studio? No, they haven't invited me. Mm. We don't have to get into mm. that. Hmm. Well, hey, you know, get it out here on the podcast. Manifest it. I'm just saying. (laughs) Don't you want to see where Cody Rigsby does his workouts? I mean, come on. (laughs) I actually don't live far from the studio. I drive by it. It has a giant image of Allie Love on the door. See Peloton? (laughs) Invite Kate. Uh, Finally, before we end our episode today, we're going to have Linda Codega on from io9 to talk to us about how NFTs are ruining everyone's favorite Dungeons & Dragons that story, it's a wild story, and I cannot wait to have them on to talk about it, because uh, we have a long-running joke on gadgets about how NFTs and, like, Web3 are just kind of ruining everything. <laughs> because of, you know, just, like, the general distrust of sort of the blockchain and, you know, the, the press that is surrounded around it. So it, it's very, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting It's a lot to <laughs> an unpack. Interesting chat. It's a lot. It's a lot. All right, well, let's take our quick little break. And then when we're back, the smart home of the future. Well, I have been meaning to talk about this for weeks, but there's been so much other news going on that it hasn't really taken precedence. So I was kind of hoping that we could take a little, little side note right now to talk about matter. And actually, when I originally was writing the show notes for this, I, of course, thought in my mind, what's a matter with matter? I love that. It's a really big matter that we honestly haven't spoken about the matter enough. Um, (laughs) You know, also, when you Google matter, just to, like, look up quick news or something, the Internet Google has not adapted to that yet. It still is giving me the definition of, like, the scientific, like, oh, matter, like, the particles that make up human beings. I'm like, this is not relevant yes. to my job, but thank you. Yes. Also, DuckDuckGo does the same, which I have been using, but you know DuckDuckGo has like no no security. I mean, excuse me, it is very secure, but it doesn't have any uh, gates, I should say, like content gates is what I meant to mm-hmm. say. So Lord knows what you'll get on there with any search term, but um, that's neither here nor there. So uh, about a month ago, about a month ago, I wrote a piece about matter getting delayed. And so just a quick refresh for those who don't remember what matter is, because we did an episode about it, but like, 
it feels like ages ago. So Matter is this smart home standard that's supposed to make it easier for all of us to connect our smart home devices. And it literally is supposed to make it like you bring something to your home, you plug it in, and then boom, it's pretty much ready to configure on the network. Now, Google has shown some examples of how how this is going to work. I think uh, a couple of months ago, they had announced, oh, the Google Home app is going to have the Matter integration, so you can just set something up on the network, log into the Home app, and then it'll do the configuration for you. Right now, if you set something up on a home and you've got you know, the Google Assistant in your smart home, you have to set it up first through the third-party device and then go into the Home app and configure all that. So this is supposed to remove a couple of extra steps, but also just make it a more seamless thing for any anybody, even people who have never set up a home hub of any sort to be able to just bring in devices and automate them. But that future, Kate, seems far off. Do you want to do you want to tell us why? That future seems far off in the scope of things because we've been <laughs> mm-hmm. hearing about matter and connectivity initiatives for so long now. I've been reviewing smart home devices for for 3 years and using them well before that. And no matter how much experience I like to think I have, um, the home could be more convenient and more automated. I spent a year turning my parents' beach house into like a high-tech Jetson-style place. Ooh. And I know it's still not set up the way that I like, even by going step and step by step and mapping out everything that I need to install pretty meticulously. It did take a lot of that time and going into individual apps to get there. And Matter is promising that those headaches and those time that time that that I put into it, the average consumer might not need to. And we're all kind of waiting to get there. And, um, you know, the smart home companies that I've spoken to about the matter, they more or less see it as something that happens, like when it's going to happen, maybe like not that nonchalant. But they also aren't concerned so much about rushing into something that might not be ready. You know, there have been matters before. There have been initiatives to make smart home devices play nice together. But just to put that protocol out there without, A, an abundance of awareness on the consumer side, and B, consensus among these smart home companies about what a matter-connected home should look like, it would kind of just be subject to fail. And it would be another thing that was as boring as, as, you know, it matter even seems to some people right now. I love that you brought that up. I, you know, we were talking about having multiple hats. I also cover Android and phones. And so on the Mm -hmm. phone side of things, it really feels like people will get excited about the bleeding edge. You know, look how we've had foldables come into, you know, back into the zeitgeist. But I don't see that happening with the smart home because of the fact that it's, there's just something futuristic about it and yet not as attainable as like going out and buying a smartphone. And I think it's because the smartphone has been turned into this like daily utility versus the smart home mm-hmm. is like a nice to have. And what I thought was really interesting is that the companies are okay with this sort of delaying versus them just kind of like pushing through with their own thing. And I wonder, Kate, do you think that's just because the smart home we've had up until now has been such a confusing mess? I mean, yeah. Remember, you have many of the (laughs) biggest companies in the world that make smart home devices or compatible smart home devices. And those billion dollar companies will need to work just as well with some of the smallest smart home companies in the world that only sell maybe a single type of light bulb. And that's it. You know, a lot of protections need to be put in place for those companies. And they don't want to rush into something that might not benefit them in the end. And then just on the point of industry too, there are so there are hundreds of smart home companies, countless smart home devices. And to get them all there to the matter certification standards is really no small task. Every company has the right to make the necessary changes on the hardware and software side to get there. I mean, sure, there are already a lot of devices in homes. There may be some intimidation, but what are you going to tell someone that the $300 smart lock that they bought that they only a year ago learned how to like set up and figure out that now that's not going to be matter friendly and that's not going to work. There's a little bit of catch up going on right now to make sure that people are only going to be buying devices that work with matter uh, and that every company's code and app is all up to date with that because what 
it, it, that would be in the CSA's best interest uh, to get this, to get all the relevant players involved. It's not going to work if, you know, you have to tell people like, yeah, you think you were just getting your head around working in your smart home, even like in my parents' home that I mentioned before, to say that everything you set up just now won't work it is not going to happen. So I think there's a little bit of delay on that end to give some of like the top brands who are not yet matter compliant, I should say. There are many, many top companies that have not yet released a device saying this is going to work with matter, that time to catch up because it's important. That's true. Um, I want to follow up. Kate mentioned the CSA. I can't recall if uh, we had mentioned it before, but Connectivity Standards Alliance, they that is the group that is handling the matter standard. And they are the ones that actually posted a blog post that said, matter was going to be delayed a third time. So around this time, I think is when we were initially going to see some matter devices appear. And now it looks like it won't be until at least my understanding is the holiday season of Mm -hmm. 2022. So next (laughs) Christmas, which it feels like so far away at this point. It does. (laughs) It, It seems like we've wanted it. And it's a huge step that the smart home space needs to take to progress. But there are other ways that smart home companies are making their devices better and working better in people's homes, maybe not on this grand scale basis. I was recently looking into all the AI features, which while some are a little creepy, they actually are making the devices better and not just like putting a voice assistant in something and calling it smart. So the delay can only mean that they are just taking it all the more seriously, in my opinion, and that yeah. they're kind of adapting to, I think it was a big undertaking, don't you think? That it was like a big, a very big thing to come out there and say, we're just going to fix the whole smart home space with one protocol. I'm really glad I it's, have it's you here. It's a huge task. Because you're making me think about it, absolutely. Because at first I was like, oh, what the heck, guys, get it together. But you're right. We're talking about Google, Apple, Samsung. These are all really big smart home players. And uh, if you pay attention at all to any consumer tech news, which I hope you do because you're listening to this podcast, but remember, Kate, over CES, when Samsung announced their uh, the Home Hub, which was their little tablet. They still haven't launched, by the way. But I keep thinking, mm-hmm. like, we're going to have more devices coming like that. Uh, I just feel like this holiday, people are going to be rethinking their smart homes if they already have one <laughs> because of all this new stuff that's going to be coming through. It's kind of exciting. Which, from my point of view, it's, wow, there's going to be innovation. People are going to actually have to make their devices better and look to those things like AI that I mentioned to actually compete in the space because we're past like the days where cameras. no one needs another Echo speaker. And mm-hmm. security cameras, like, there's only so many differences brand to brand. Sure, you can look at, like, price, but sometimes we're only talking, like, $2 differences between this smart light bulb and that smart light bulb. Where so true. These products are all going to be working on that same same baseline and all meeting at the bare minimum matter standards. They're going to have to find new ways to appeal to shoppers and give us people who love you know tech and and new um, new innovations and, and ways that we can use our devices and maybe find better automations to one day make our lives easier. That would be great. I am really worried about my parents' home, though, because I did just spend, as I said, the last year making it the ultimate smart home, so to speak. But I already know that there are things there that are going to be outdated fairly soon. It's going to be on me to update those, I guess. Yeah. Um, But I just feel bad that, you know, my parents can't be the only one who are still wrapping their heads around how to use the smart home just in time for that all to change because there's going to be a new way to interact with it, you know? I worry about that so much. I tried to set up, by the way, I had a relative staying with us for two weeks, and I tried to set up a old Android phone as kind of a little smart home controller using the Action Blocks app from the Play Store, mm. which lets you like set up Google smart. Assistant actions. It's an accessibility app, but anybody can use it. And my relative was not interested in this situation. They were not interested in shutting off the lights by pushing the button on a phone. They just went over to the switch and they were turning off the lights that way. So I sort of think about, even though we're waiting all this time and all this innovation is happening and it's going to be really good for us, let's say gadget heads, is this going to get 
is Matter really going to get more people to buy into the smart home? Or is this just going to be another kind of piece of tech that uh, I feel like it's up to us and, you know, sort of the generations after us to really adopt it? Sure. I think that the people who are against using technology so frequently and just don't want to wrap their heads around how to use a light switch a different way than using an on-off light switch, that's not who Matter is for at all. Matter really is for the people who are already, I think, a little bit willing to adopt or, you know, they received an Echo speaker for the holidays and, you know, have set it up but haven't really explored the different ways that you can use it. Or even, you know, setting up new homes and rental properties. The, right. Almost the number one priority with, with home builders and contractors right now is bringing in experts in installing smart home devices. That's and right. more than that, it is a new certification that contractors can receive to say, hey, I know how to set up smart home devices. I went through all this. You can call me or that can be part of whatever deal you got going on. So I think between the home builds, like new spaces, and enough people already having a little bit of familiarity with um, some type of voice assistant in their home, whether it's, you mentioned Google Assistant, or I'm so sorry if you're listening to this out loud and have those speakers in your room, because that is my that is my biggest... Uh, Maybe we could have our editor bleep so, it out. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> edit <laughs> I note know, to we, the editor. <laughs> yeah. Bleep out a people are going to think I'm saying ass or something. I don't know if that's even allowed. Um, anyway, the uh, the point of it is that people are going to be able to actually take your smart home to the next level. You might have that entry level point. You're going to be able to very easily wrap your head around buying a new device, being given a new device as a mm-hmm. gift, or even seeing that in the store. And you know, if you're buying a new deadbolt at the store, you're like, oh, I know it's going to work with my house because I have a house and I have a front door and I can install <laughs> right. a deadbolt. When you see a, when you see a smart deadbolt, you're like, uh, what? But if you know already that it's going to work with what you have going on, it takes a lot of the intimidation out of it. And that's, that's, I think the, the biggest holdup with smart home devices at all. I agree. Kate, you are, I'm so glad that you were here to talk to this, talk to me about this, especially because you brought up the contractor thing. And I totally forgot that, like, I think I got a press release once about like KB Homes. They were hiring smart home experts. Yeah, to make sure that you could just like, mm hmm. So, oh, well, Well, for my parents' home, we, we ripped out the walls to rewire things. And my dad, knew enough about like home home reno stuff yes. that we really did DIY it in every sense of it like there are like like edges in the molding that you can tell we did it from scratch we didn't have an expert brought in and the type of wiring and stuff when we were like trying to like get like kind of crash courses and what we needed to do there were electricians and plumbers who didn't even know about some of the devices people who I inquired with about what I was doing so that I didn't yep. hurt myself uh that I was kind of like over their heads, like, oh, I know that like I need a neutral wire to go here to do this to power my home this way. And they were like, well, I know how to do that to like make sure your light switch turns on. I'm like, no, it's the same thing, though. Like that's it's the same Mm -hmm. type of connectivity. So, yeah. (sighs) Well, we've got a lot to look forward to. And also we've got a lot of uh, planning to do to upkeep our parents' homes. (laughs) Because I'm in the same, I'm in the same boat as you, Kate. Right, I'm not the only one. I'm so relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's take a quick little break. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about Tonal. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
Before we entered the segment, I said, let's talk fitness. And then I kind of laughed at myself because I thought about how Strava is recently like, good for you for going on daily walks. <laughs> but you know what? We're all doing our best. I'm proud of and, you. <laughs> thank you. And during, okay, during this pandemic that we're all still in, let's be real here, a lot of us have figured out that we need to just like work at home because the gym is maybe not as accessible as it used to be. And I know a lot of people have started buying all the exercise equipment they need, and a lot of people have gone towards smart exercise equipment, mm-hmm. one of them being the Tonal, which, funny enough, also integrates with Strava. I have like friends on there, like, I did a workout on Tonal. So, Kate, you got to you like, wh- tell us about it. Um you must have some bougie friends because Tonal is not cheap. I um, have one bougie friend. It's one friend that has it. <laughs> no, I'm just going to put it that way. And, and I, they live in a place that is very cheap cost of living. So that helps. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't have led with that. Um, I only say that because the Tonal experience I had was not the average Tonal experience. It was a very high class one that I don't think I will ever forget. It might have been one of the more pampered experiences I've had as a tech journalist. So yeah, I went to their studio in New York. It's beautiful. We had the whole place to myself or to ourselves, I should say. It was me, another product reviewer friend and our videographer. Mm -hmm. And this trainer basically gave us three hours to work out both in this private VIP suite with like a Theragon and shower room and then also in this larger studio. And it is so impressive. The whole machine it like you look at it in the wall you're like I almost want you to like be a work of art but really it's this very sleek looking um it looks like the mirror I guess or a large mirror you almost want to open it like a closet but it actually is a cable machine and has these giant cable arms that (gasps) that can be moved into all these different positions and I, because of that it definitely takes some getting used to it's not like you look at an exercise bike and like oh put my feet in the pedals and spin the wheel or, you know, look in front of a mirror and, you know, do some bicep curls. It is so not that you have to do all the adjustments, but the machine like tells you where you need to position all of the cable arms for each workout. And it blinks if it's not in the right place. That probably sounds stressful now that I'm saying it, but it's actually like you have a trainer with you showing you what to do and making that because they would do the same adjustments, you. yeah, before right. you started if working. If you were in out, a right. gym with a trainer, they would adjust your weights. They would make sure the cable was set up. That's kind of what you're paying for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's what you get with the tonal. So, do you, do, do you think I should tell talk a little bit about what tonal is, though, at its core? Yes, please. Sure. Uh, so, for the uninitiated. Yeah, for those who don't know about tonal, um, uh, it's this wall-mounted digital weight machine with integrated workout class software it has configurable high-tech parts that have you have handles and they're customized to fit in the cable like machine and then when you're going through the workouts it has a, a camera that not like feeds you to to a class like you might see on peloton it's showing you form correction it's actually tracking your body movements to make sure that you're moving properly. That's a huge selling point of it because instead of working out with a trainer in person, you're at home, you're on your own time, but still getting that assistance to make sure you're actually moving effectively. And of course, in a way that you're not going to get hurt. That's huge. You know? Yeah. I love that. I do a lot of my own home workouts, but sometimes I wonder if I'm moving the right way to target muscles. And if I'm actually like, well, why didn't I feel sore from that workout? It could be that like my arms were just a little bit off and I wasn't actually Mm -hmm. targeting the right muscles. So I love mm-hmm. that Tonal does that. Or to avoid injury That's as well. That's huge, I, of course. Like, I practice yoga and I have injured myself several times in my years of practicing yoga because I did not have a, te- a, a teacher that was making sure I was doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. So when I was there, uh, I did a few different things. And some of the classes were just, you know, kind of straightforward. There's a trainer on the screen who is using a digital version of the machine right in front of you. You do do arm workouts, core, hit. You can curate them by how long you want them to be. There is a uh, a navigation menu, all that that stuff that I think are pretty common fixtures of digital workout software. Like Peloton, I use OpenFit. Um, 
you know, there's, there's a bunch of services, Apple Fitness Plus, for example, too, where you can kind of like whittle down what you want to do. There's, uh, difficulty levels, but the part that I probably enjoyed the most was there's a menu that lets you build your own workout. And it's kind of like the experience of going to a real gym and rotating around the machines however you want when maybe you're not up for doing a class. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't want like a trainer telling me what to do. I just want to, you know, do some bicep curls and some shoulder presses and go about my day because that's A, how much time I have or B, what I think is best for my body that day, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And since it's a digital weight system, it tracks how strong you are when you're moving and makes adjustments for those moves accordingly. But that's not even the coolest part. Have you heard of a digital weight system before? Like what that what that kind of can offer? Kind of. The best way I think I can describe it is say when you're lowering a bicep curl, how the weight you want it to feel heavier on the way down, so a trainer will tell you to go slowly. Yeah. It says, you know, lift up for one I'm like pound doing, and we're lower both down doing it, by three. the way. <laughs> Those yeah, listening. Yeah, we're doing our bicep <laughs> curls with absolutely nothing, which is still kind of effective, I should yep. say. But so that's called an eccentric movement. When you're moving slowly down and making the weight feel heavier, that's great for building muscle. You can't do that. I shouldn't say you can't do that. It, you have to <laughs> manually do that with a pair of dumbbells. So you have right, to actually. Right. You have to force yourself to go slower. If you had a trainer, I'm sure they would say, eh, don't do that. Or maybe they'd push up against you. The tonal has a feature called smart flex that automatically increases the weight when you're going down because it tracks your movements. It can track when you're going down and it makes the weight heavier. So instead of you needing to like think about going slower, it just makes it heavier and it takes the gravity out of it. It eliminates some of that luxury that you get with a dumbbell, I would say, where it's like, oh, I don't need to think about going down because gravity will take it down. Tonal's like, no, no, no. Like, if you're going to move this down, we're going to make it hard for you. And that's one of the most effective workouts I think I've ever had because of that feature specifically. Wow. I'm, yeah, I'm just like marveling at that. I'm thinking about the gym. You know, when I was going, I'm thinking about scanning and going, okay, what do I want to do with my body today? You know, and looking at all the exercise machines. And I'm just thinking about this stationary piece of equipment in your home that you just walk up to it and you're like, and I don't want to sound like an advertisement, but it is a total home gym. I mean, that's what it sounds. It sounds like it lives up to it. totally sounds like an advertisement. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's called the smart home gym, even like take it a step further. So how how smart is it? Um, I know you talked about it's tracking your movements and things of the sort. Like what other kind of measurements is it taking while you're working out? It can track how strong you're getting over time based on how much you're actually able to pull. If it's noticing that you're moving, you're, we'll just go back to the bicep curl example because I think that's the easiest for everyone mm-hmm. to imagine. That if you're, you know, you were on this weight for the last two weeks and you're just going through these reps, like it's no problem. The machine can feel that. It doesn't sense that you're putting a lot of pressure back on that. So it's like, okay, we're going to give you a little bit more weight and see how you feel. And then over time, you can see a trend of of where your strength levels are at. And it not only follows, you know, your overall strength, but your, your the different parts of your body based on, on what you're doing. Now, wh- does it have integrations with with other devices um like does your apple watch track it at all or there is compatibility it doesn't show your heart rate on the screen like i know a lot of people Mm. love about peloton um heart rate yeah can no that's a big one um but it does like it does integrate enough to like show you your trends at the at the end um which I don't consider a knock against it just because I've used a lot of other excellent workout machines that don't have that. Um, and I'm even when I go to my own gym, I'm, you know, checking my wrist to see my heart rate when I'm working mm-hmm. out. I'm still tracking it on my on my smartwatches built in fitness app. So um, right. there's not that. But in other integrations, you can pair uh, Apple Music and uh, another radio app, which it's drawing a blank on right now, but it does pair with your, with your uh, music services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I notice again, I think I mentioned if you work out, it'll like post on Strava or whatever, like they have some 
third-party app integrations as well for anybody oh, who wants sure. to track things. Oh, sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, now, have you tried the comparison product, the Tempo at all, the one that has the individual yes. dumbbells? I know Tempo, and I like Tempo. I think Tempo has a lot of really cool AI technology built into it because it is also tracking your movements and offering form correction. They don't hit you over the head as much with it, which is something I like about Tonal. It's more so like you did five reps and your positioning is a little off. Maybe change it. Not like every single rep. Here's what you're doing, which is on Tonal, by the way. Tonal, every rep, it will give you kind of like a green check mark, like you did that right. Or hmm, maybe like you're leaning back a little bit too much when you're doing this specific That's important. Movement. That's Again, that's what a trainer would tell you in real life. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it depends. It, it's I the one thing I definitely do like about Tempo is that it's a lot more movable than Tonal. And I mean, like that in a house, because, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it still needs a power source, but it's Tempo is an easel instead of a wall mounted machine. And I think it looks kind of nice. You don't have all the intimidating parts of a cable machine, those moving arms that I mentioned before, stuff like that. But you're also not getting a digital weight system. You are using traditional weights. Right. Uh, So if you maybe are more new to working out, like if someone told me, hey, Kate, I want to start working out from scratch. I haven't been to the gym in 20 years and I just need to do something and I want it to be fun and high tech and money is no object. I would push them to tempo way before tonal. Tonal tonal is more, Hmm. I would say it's, better for people who have familiarity with working out with being in the gym the cable system that we mentioned kind of replicates that giant you know cable cage that you might see at the gym if you've never used one of those before getting your head around how to move the arms what makes sense going in quickly between movements it has more of that like true i know my way around a gym feel just you're doing it at home which Mm-hmm. is more so about like if anyone at the gym ever told me to correct my form I would take them to court. So, I think that I think yes. that that's that's I would not have felt comfortable on tonal if I didn't have gym experience. I've been going to the gym since since middle school. I've been I was right. a student athlete. I did all that stuff, so that's always been a part of my routine. So, going to tonal reminded me of going to the gym, which I haven't done cuz of cuz of the last two years, I opted to work out at home. I'm working from home too. So it's just a little bit more convenient in terms of my time. But there was something about the gym that I definitely still missed. And it was that, Mm -hmm. you know, those machines and that ability to like, I want to go and like adjust something before I work out. And I want to like, make it work for me. And I want to, I want to figure out my own workout while I'm there. Um, Put that together. So that put that part of tonal together with the digital weight system. And you're there to actually build strength, build muscle. Maybe you're training for something. The The other reviewer who I was with was actually training for first a marathon, wants to go ultra marathon. And the types of programs that were integrated with Tonal actually could help him with his stamina, with targeting certain strength mu- muscles or recovering in the right way or, you know, countering running with with really effective movements on the flip side of that. So I would say there's a level of mm, experience that that Tonal has at at the get-go that I don't know that I'd recommend it to someone who doesn't like know their way around working out. Does that make sense? Yes. Th- I mean, that's why I don't have one. <laughs> I just stuck with a stationary bike. I don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if that like applies to your friend that that has it, but um, I I, don't, I would not I would not have loved it as much as I did if it was not like the the machine experience of the gym, you know? Yeah. Well, Kate, thank you so much that <laughs> now I know as much as I want to try one out, I'm not not sure if <laughs> well if you my try expertise one out, level is of it. Out, I will fly from New York to spend with you because this machine costs three thousand dollars, but there's like a lot of other add-ons that kind of I I I priced it out for me to go to equinox which is like the city's like more premier gym mm-hmm. yeah i c- i would need to to match the price of so that's 170 dollars per month to pay 170 dollars per month for the tonal would take me four years to pay off so i would have to be like really committed to, to working out to find the value there 
Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's that's a really good thing uh, yeah. to kind of end on for people to consider. Sure. Well, I feel like now we've we've done the the stretch. So let's take a little break, and when we get back, we'll talk about something really nerdy. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, and now for our fanning section, which is the very last segment here on the Gadgets Podcast, we're going to talk about something truly, truly nerdy, but with a little tinge of (laughs) the thing that Gadgets hate the most, which is Web3. And (laughs) to do that, I've invited Linda from io9 to be here and talk about their really spectacular NFTs are ruining Dungeons and Dragons article that went up last mm-hmm. week on Gizmodo. Linda, yes, please tell us about Grip Gripner. Is that how you pronounce it? Gripner, yeah, Gripner. It's uh, a hilarious irony that Gripner is inspired by the Norse myth of Glipner. Which- oh, is that? <laughs> I was going to ask you if yeah. it was like D and D ish, if it was within no. the realm. No, no, no. Norse mythology. Uh, the chain Glipner was supposed to hold Fenrir back for all time, but it broke and Ragnarok happened. The irony is very good. Oh, wow. Ragnarok. Yeah. The, the only Marvel movie I've ever liked, to be to be frank. Um, because Taika Waititi is a genius. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so we can talk about D&Ds and NFTs. So ultimately, I do want to sort of uh, preface this with, uh, I need clicks to feed my dog Kibble. Uh, Gripner will not ruin D&D. Um, okay, good. But it will ruin D&D if you try to play with it. Okay. It's, that's the important um, thing. That's, that's the big thing here is that D&D is going to be f- just fine. Uh, Gripner, however, is very is currently very, very flawed. It's a protocol by which you will be able to input game results onto the blockchain which I'm shaking my then... head of like, sorry to interrupt. I've just yeah ooh, already. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. So basically, the I mean, the big product that they're going to push is that they're going to develop this protocol to input game results onto the blockchain, which will then be verified, and that information will be put on an NFT with an EIP con EIP diamond contract, which will become like an additive receipt onto that nft because as you know when you get an nft it's you can't change it but you can add to it via this new fractal diamond protocol so basically you will be continually updating this nft with your game results and then that will apparently make your nft more valuable and you will be able to sell that nft which represents your character and it's it's progress on OpenSea. Okay, I was going to ask you if they're going to do this on a platform that is accessible by people who are kind of coming around NFTs from the like three or four things I've read on it. My mm-hmm. understanding is that OpenSea is just kind of like a literally an open sea of NFTs. Like anybody could just go there. It's not as curated as maybe some of the other marketplaces. Right, right. It is straight up just uh, an NFT marketplace, an NFT store. Um, but yeah, that that's actually like a, a thing that they are trying to figure out is the ratio of collect like NFT collectors who will just want to kind of like jump on this bandwagon and people who are generally or uh, more more specifically involved in Gripner and want to be a part of the actual gaming community that Gripner is attempting to build at this moment. How much familiarity does do the founders of Gripner have with D&D? Like, are they longtime players or is this something that they just are here to see if they can, you know, invade a little bit? Um. So the the guy, so the, the guy who's heading this up is the president and head of product. His name is Patrick Comer. He's a lifelong D&D fan. He has, he plays a lot with his kids. He's 
very much like a private gamer. Okay. Um, and, but he, he's not really involved in the community. Mm. Um, and he's very much a tech bro who sold his last company for a billion dollars. Oh, uh, he's got triple yeah. commas. Cool. Yeah. So he's not really, uh, he really is just, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. And he decided to mash up two things that he really loves into like the worst thing possible, frankly. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. I mean... So, so basically this guy provided a lot of the seed money before they went to like venture capitalists and, the CEO is also like a D and D person who's a tech bro, um, and like is at a startup firm. And the other people that they've sort of hired are not really gamers. I think maybe one of them is a gamer, but the rest of them are just you know Web three people, right? Um, and the they're really their only their only solid claim on any sort of tabletop role playing game credit all is their lead designer Stephen McRadley Farland. Okay. Or Stephen Radney McFarland. I I was gonna say that name sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's um he's been around for a while, at least like a decade or so. He's worked for Paizo, which pr- publishes Pathfinder, um some kind of sci-fi game, and he's written for D D before. So he he's like a legitimate presence on their board right but yeah. in general uh no the people that are running this company are fans of the hobby fans of web3 but they are not game designers the reason i asked that was because i know those in the D community are, are protective over it and it's because it's such a it's such a great thing and generally very positive and a great way to you know, actually have something that's, I don't say innocent, but like, it's, it's good. Like, we can still have good things these days. And I think for people, for, totally. for, for uh, those in the D&D community, that is one of those, those good things. It's not like, you know, mm-hmm. I've been following the Top Shot NBA NFTs. And it's, that's not really, it makes sense. Because it's like, people already were like selling cards and being competitive with their basketball cards. And, athletes are already like how much money can we make off of off of these of the likeness of players Mm -hmm. and and how that so that that didn't feel so like it was being soiled with with nfts but this kind of starts to infringe on that if correct me if i'm wrong yeah 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 so so uh if this was just another nft like a company that was like trying to do nfts i wouldn't have bothered you know there are tech bros doing nfts all the time it's not a big deal um, the, the, one of the big reasons that I, I was really interested in Gripner is because kind of what you said that D and D is sort of this, uh, precious thing where it's like, as long as you're at a table with your friends, like there are no rules, like the click clacks are nice. Like the number rocks are cool, but like, you don't really need to deal with them in order to tell a cool game, to have a cool game or tell a cool story. Um, but basically these guys are creating this protocol and creating some really, really strange limitations around playing Dungeons and Dragons. So it's stuff like you can't get these items or you can't get this much loot or you can only, you know, if you slay a a beholder, you'll only get this much credit for it on the on the blockchain. So they're very they're very much like incentivizing playing the game in only a certain way in order to achieve those Basically, Comer called it like a, a basket of items that you will be able to pick out every single game. So they're incentivizing Dungeons and Dragons in order to play a certain way, in order to get those items, in order to like level up your NFT, in order to like make money down the road. This is like how they set up the free to play mobile games. That's sort of what it sounds like. Yeah, they. I think that it's one of those things where they really aren't. Um, it's really not clicking with them that they're creating a basically a video game where GMs don't really have the narrative tools that are at their disposal at a tabletop game, and are sort of just kind of like narrating. They're like the NPCs who are sort of like narrating and pushing the the heroes along right. like the one railroad path of the game, rather than. Um, doing what D&D does best, which is letting you make up anything you want with your friends. 
<laughs> exactly. That's the whole point that a lot of people get together, which is also, by the way, to anybody out there who's listening, who has never invited me to D&D, I want you to know <laughs> you're on my list. Deeply offended. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Family members, by the way, included who have D&D groups and I have not been invited. We're family. Not even to not try it once. <laughs> not even to try. Like, I have no idea how you enter into oh this God. thing. I just, it's always existed around me. <laughs> So, so that's another thing. It's like already D and D is one of those games that's like slightly inaccessible. Like the books are sixty dollars each, and you need two of them. Um, and there's so many rules, and you have like ten ten dice, and it's just like what what the fuck is any of this? Uh, yes. So while I like did spend like five thousand words, um, just defending D and D to my last breath. I do also want to state for the record, it is not my favorite tabletop role-playing game, and I will always ask to play a different one. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> always. Uh, I love I love D&D for what it is. Um, I'm super proud. Of, I'm super happy it exists. I'm super proud of the people who, like, do work on it. Uh, it's not It's not my game of choice. That's fair. That's fair. But I will defend the right of the player to make up whatever the fuck they want. Absolutely. It, yeah, you're that, doing your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Linda, that brings me kind of to like my final question for you, which is you mentioned Web3 tabletop role-playing games, TTRPGs, mm-hmm. right? Now, mm-hmm. is the Web3 part for real? Like, are we going to see this coming into more games? I mean... What a well, weird way to monetize. I don't know. It's- mm-hmm. Yeah, so so this comes from Gripner's mission, which is to bring tabletop role-playing games to, to the blockchain and Web3. Um, I think that it will be very interesting to see how Gripner does. They released just the other day that they had raised $2.5 million in funding from venture capitalists. Um, so they, they're, like, super well-funded, and they, they have the ability to, like, eat that funding if it doesn't work. Which is again one of the reasons why I decided to like write about them is like it's a big privilege to be able to do that. Yeah, and it's one of those things where they can't even explain what will happen if a character dies. Like, what happens to the value of that NFT? (gasps) We still haven't figured that out. What? No. So yeah, so it's like basic stuff like that, and I'm just like, if I, you know, I follow crowdfunding for tabletop role playing games, and if I if any crowdfunding for any tabletop role-playing game cannot tell me exactly where that money is going, where it's coming from, how the game is going to be played, or even like what happens to a character when that character dies, there is no way that crowdfunded tabletop role-playing game, which will be played by players who are like buying into it, would ever get funded. So it is bonkers to me that venture capitalists have invested in this product without ever really knowing or understanding how this product is going to work mm-hmm. it's just bonkers because like they, they, it's just such a huge difference in between like the venture capitalist idea that like invest a million dollars and a hundred bad ideas and one of them will be big right versus you know the fact that tabletop role-playing games have a history of investing in their own community exactly mm-hmm. and a history of supporting their community and a history of going above and beyond to make sure that people get paid in their community. And this product company just does like does doesn't op- isn't operating on the same rules as anybody else in the community. And it is definitely causing a lot of friction. Well, I mean, I oh, goodness, this story is really good. I want us to get more into it, but we unfortunately have run out of time. I think everybody should go to our show notes right now and check out Linda's story on gizmodo.com. This was one of our biggest stories last Friday. Uh, Linda was getting a lot of commentary on the media, on the social medias. So let's make this worth Linda's time, please, by going and, and checking out this wonderful story. It's a good read. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, these kind of stories aren't supposed to do well. This was about NFT and D&D, and it was 5,000 words long, and it was full of tech jargon. Uh, these stories aren't supposed to do good, and this one blew up. And I just want to say, like, I don't understand how some people can can, can like trust Gripner to 
produce this product when they can't even control the narrative for 24 hours. Oh, oh, that's. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for being here. This is so great. Uh, this is Linda's debut <laughs> on Gadgets. <laughs> so we hope Hello. to have them back because there are so much, so much great stuff coming out from io9. So thank you, Linda. Thank you, Flo. Thank you, Kate. Happy to be here. Kate, now I must turn it back to you. And thank you so much for joining me and co-hosting Gadgets today. It was really awesome being able to talk to you, especially because you're kind of a smart home nerd like me, and I never get to really like live that out. So thank you. Thank you. Whenever you want to talk smart home, I am here for you. I'm going to take you up on that because, again, lots of bantering to be had. (laughs) We can share some routines. It's good. It's all good. Uh, Exactly. Well, uh, before we go, Kate, how can people find you? What's the best way for them to find your work and where you are? Sure. So I'm over at tomsguide.com. On Twitter, you can find me, though, at Kate Kozich, K-A-T-E-K-O-Z-U-C-H. And we are going to also recommend that you go to TikTok. I am at Tom's Guide's That's TikTok right. account. And I am running all the content over there. So that is that is the place to go. I would rather yes. you go there than my own personal Twitter, honestly, just because that's where I'm really showcasing my personality these days. Yes. So. Kate is so good on TikTok. Please go follow her. And you know what I'm actually going to do? I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Okay. So we can can get you, get people to TikTok. (laughs) We're big fans of TikTok here on Gadgets. So, uh, and I I see those talks when I'm on there late at night because it's the only time I have time to be on TikTok. Uh, as for us here at Gadgets, if you would like to uh, email us with any questions, concerns, you can do so at gadgets at gizmodo.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at gizmodo or follow me personally on Twitter at ohthatflow. Before I go, I would like to also thank our producer and our sound engineer, Ryan Allen, for being here with me every single week at the same time. Uh, and Ryan you the best. We also want to thank our cover designer, Vicky Lita, who is out there making pretty things for other people. So thank you, Vicky, for the beautiful cover art you made us. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because it really helps us get found. So until then, everyone, we're going to say goodbye. Have a safe next week and we'll see you next week. Bye.